I wanted to just start by highlighting one thing she said. She said, the online world is supplanting the wisdom of parents in instruction from God's Word. That's really what we're going to focus on in this next talk, how parents can recover and take back influence from social media, from screens, and take that and put that authority back in its God-given place, the, the authority of parents. We're going to walk through what I call the influence principle, uh, then the influence formula, and we're going to walk through Judges 2 and, and uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 in order to see how parents can recover that authority and take that influence back. I'll start by explaining what I call the influence principle. The influence principle is this. Children are always being influenced. That's it. Children are always being influenced. It's in their nature. They're either being influenced by you or someone else. That's it. It's either it's you or it's someone else. As parents, our job is to be the primary influence in our children's life. This isn't something we can delegate. This isn't something the church can do for you. This isn't something a school can do for you. God has given this authority. He's put it in your hands. And this is why we need wisdom and we need courage as parents. God has given us a job as parents that no one else can do, no one else will do. The threats to our children today are truly terrifying and numerous. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us that it has never been easy to follow God in a fallen world. Uh, Christians have always been pushing uphill. God's people have always been pushing uphill and trying to raise their parents. Uh, And the challenges we're facing today, we actually find parents in the Bible facing similar problems. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. We're not the first generation to be facing the challenge of outside forces trying to supplant parental authority and influence our children. In Judges chapter 2, we find the, the, the book picking up right where the book of Joshua leaves off. So look over at chapter 2, verse 6. Joshua has just given his epic speech. You know it? Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Things are looking good. The people are finally going in the promised land. The people say, we also will serve the Lord. For he is our God. And what's the next thing that happens? The very next thing that happens. Read with me, starting in Judges chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. They buried him with his boundaries of his inheritance in Timrah, in the hill country of Ephrathim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went 
after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. This is one of the most tragic passages in the Bible. This is one of those places in the storyline of Scripture full of so much promise and so much disappointment. You saw what happened there in verse 11. That's the key verse. There were two things this new generation did not know. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know the work He'd done for Israel. You read that and you think, how is that possible? How could they not know? How could they not know about the Exodus? How could they not know that their grandparents were slaves in Egypt and God brought them out with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand? He led them under fire by night and cloud by day. He provided for them. He fed them in the wilderness. Their shoes did not wear out. Their garments did not tear. All the way, the Lord led them till they came to this place. And yet they did not know the Lord. Verse 11 is alluding directly back to a passage from Deuteronomy. A passage where parents are told how to keep this from happening. How to prevent this influence from being taken from them to lead their children to follow the Lord and placed in the hands of others. And that passage is Deuteronomy chapter 6. What I want you to see is that the failure of Judges 2 is the direct result of the failure of parents to heed the instructions of Deuteronomy 6. And in Deuteronomy 6, I want to walk you through what we call the influence formula. So if the influence principle is that children are always being influenced, either by you or someone else, the influence formula is this. Influence is a function of time, authority, and common orientation. I'm going to say that again. Influence is a function of time, authority, and common orientation. We're going to see this as we walk through Deuteronomy 6. We'll spend the rest of this talk walking through those three points. Time, authority, and common orientation. So if you flip back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's just a few books earlier. In Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing the parents of the very people who turned their backs on the Lord in Judges chapter 2. So he's addressing the parents. These are the ones who, uh, who came out of Egypt, who followed the Lord for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, they weren't the generation that had initially disobeyed the, the Lord and been sentenced to death. Instead, they wandered for 40 years. And Deuteronomy is, uh, means the second giving of the law. This is where Moses is repeating the instructions given to the people at Sinai. He's repeating them again so that the people can enter the land, they can take it. And pick up with me as I read, starting in verse 4. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give you, with great and good houses that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord. These are some of the most famous words in all of Scripture. I want to examine them briefly to look at these three principles, time, authority, common, and orientation. You see, in verse 7, Moses tells parents to teach these things diligently. Literally, this means incite, recite incessantly. Recite constantly. What you have here is a command, teach these things diligently, followed by four temporal clauses. You see there in verse 7, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. The point of this is that parental instruction happens all the time. It encompasses all of life. Children are always being influenced all the time. It's just a question of whether they're being influenced by you or someone else. Parents are to teach all that God has commanded to all of their children all the time. And what does this sound like? It sounds like the Great Commission, right? What Jesus tells his disciples, he tells them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. See, making disciples of all nations starts at home. It starts with our families. Uh, These are the first disciples that we are to make, the first disciples that we are to teach to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And the first thing we see in this passage is time. You see, of all the activities that Moses is assuming the family is doing, they're doing them all together. They're sitting together in their house. They're walking together. They're lying down together. They're rising together. This is the first part of the influence formula. Influence is a function of time. There's no way to avoid it. The Baptist pastor John Gill writes, where do I have it here? At all times, at times of meals or at leisure hours or when you are employed in any business or the house which will admit of it, every opportunity should be taken to instill the knowledge of divine things into tender minds. Every opportunity taken to instill knowledge of divine things into tender minds. That's often not what we see today. If you go into the average home in America or around the world, you don't find the family together. You find each person on their own device. Even if they're in the same room, they're worlds apart. Each person is on technology or social media, email, video games, but all these things are robbing us from precious moments that we have to influence our children. And this is where we as parents need to take a step back. And before we begin to judge our children or criticize our children for their media habits and smartphone use, we need to look in the mirror. We need to start with us. I need to. I need to recognize that I am the biggest problem when it comes to teaching my child how to best use social media and smartphones. I'm so tempted if I leave the house with my two-and-a-half-year-old to play on a playground to bring my phone with me. Because I tell myself, I can do a little email while he plays. I can check Twitter while he plays. And there's a battle going on there. You see, I want to be efficient. I want to be productive. Uh, I want to get things done. 
And so often, instead of leaving my phone at home and just going and enjoying my child and spending the time with them and giving them my undivided attention, giving them my time, experiencing that parental influence, I make a less important decision and I sacrifice the important for the immediate. When I first became a father, I was talking to another dad about how quickly the time flies and he told me a number. 6,570. 6,570. That is the number of days that you have with your child before they turn 18. It's shocking. 6,570. You hear that and you think, that can't be. You break that down, that's 940 weeks. That's not a lot of time. 940 weeks, 6,570 days. Write that number down. Reflect on that number. Claire said it earlier, but it bears repeating. There is a battle for your attention going on. It's not just for your children's attention. Uh, these companies want to extract, a, they want to extract your attention as well. And it's a zero-sum game. Every minute that goes to your phone is a minute that's not going to your child. Every minute that your child gives to the screen is a moment they're not giving to you. That's not that there's, to say there's not productive ways of doing things together, of, of sharing in the enjoyment of another thing. I'm talking about the isolated use that's drawing us apart from each other. Tick-tock, tick-tock. The time is passing by. 6,570, 940 weeks. Some parents say, well, I don't do quantity of time with my children. I do quality of time. It doesn't work that way. Uh, quality time is a function of quantity of time. The extraordinary things in life happen in the ordinary moments. It's the everyday life where these lessons happen. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. It's the context of rising and walking, eating, talking. Something is happening. Something extraordinary is happening. Lives are being shaped. Influence is being exerted in small and invisible ways that redound for a lifetime. In the context of Deuteronomy 6, you see the father in particular is speaking. And that's because in the family home, the father has a special responsibility to pass these lessons on to his children. And that brings to the second point, authority. So we talked about parental influence as a function of time. Here we'll also see that parental influence is a function of authority. This is the second important aspect of the influence formula. Authority includes both formative instruction, proactively telling your child what to do, and corrective instruction, uh, disciplining your children when they disobey. If we look at the Bible, this is what we see all over. We see Abraham did this with his household. In Genesis 18, the Lord himself says of Abraham, I know he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord and do judgment and justice. That's Genesis 18.9. The Lord says, I know Abraham will do this. This is what Joshua pledged to do with his household. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's Joshua 24.14-15. But as Claire shared earlier, through social media, through smartphones, other voices are displacing the traditional authority structure in the lives of our children. The voices of parents, pastors, friends, they just can't compete with 24-7, 365 days a year. 
The result is that instead of being discipled by their parents, children are increasingly being discipled by other teens or to follow the own desires of their flesh. I mean, that's, that's our main concern with the way social media companies profit off of algorithms that are extracting children's time, is that it's playing to the flesh. Whatever attracts your flesh, whatever will get you to focus longer, spend more time, that's what they produce for you. What happens? Eventually, the people of God start looking more like the nations. Children start going after false gods. That's what we saw in Judges, and that's what happens today as well. I think the, um, the sad reality is that as parents, we are hyper-cautious when it comes to physical threats to our children's lives. You know, we'd never let them walk to school alone, in all likelihood. We wouldn't leave them alone at a mall on their own. Uh, we dress them up warmly in the wintertime. There are so many things. We pay attention to the food they eat. And yet there's this one thing in their lives that in all likelihood has the, has the strongest power to influence them long-term and draw them away from the Lord. And that's this. And so often this just gets ignored. It's like the Trojan horse that's coming into families that are so careful about so many areas of the child's life, and yet this comes in and displaces parental authority. I want to go on a slight digression to, to walk through the book of Proverbs recently, because uh, I recently did a study through Proverbs uh, 1 to 7, and I was just struck by the importance of this topic of authority and fatherly instruction in particular. And fathers, I would especially encourage you to study the book of Proverbs as a model for how you speak to your children. This applies to you too, moms. And you're spending most of the time with them. So certainly study the book of Proverbs to see how to speak with your children. But Proverbs is really written as a book of a father speaking to his son. He's warning him, he's urging him, he's encouraging him. 21 times in the first seven chapters, Solomon repeats the words, My son. My son. This is a father speaking to his child's heart. He's, he's warning him. He's encouraging him. He's, he's telling him about the, the dangerous world. He's telling him that he's made mistakes as a man. He's, he's urging him not to make the same mistakes. And there's five themes that stuck out to me as I studied the first seven chapters. What is the father pleading with his sons to do? First, he's pleading with him not to... He's first pleading with him to heed parental instruction no matter how hard. He's saying things like, he does in Proverbs 4, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. There's a father pleading with his son to heed parental instruction no matter how hard. The second thing the father is doing is he's, he's urging him to flee bad company, to flee bad company no matter how unpopular it makes him. Uh, when you think about bad company, that is such a danger to our children and that's always been a danger, and so much of what kids encounter on social media is nothing other than bad company. Proverbs 1, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us wait in ambush, the innocent without reason. He tells them, verse 15, do not walk in the way with them. Hold Hold back your foot from their paths. So the father is urging his son to flee bad company, no matter how unpopular it makes him. Third, he's urging him to trust God and believe his promises no matter how hard. To trust the Lord. Proverbs 2, verse 1, famously puts it this way. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandment with you, making your ear attentive to my wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. He's encouraging his son, trust the Lord. He is trustworthy. So trust God and believe his promises no matter how hard. Fourth, the father urges his son to walk in integrity, whatever it may cost. Walk in integrity no matter what it costs. You see this in Proverbs 6. I won't read it now, but you can look there. Proverbs 6, verse 1 to 11, if you want to see an example of that. And finally, most pertinent to my talk this afternoon, the father urges his son to flee sexual immorality however much it attracts him. Flee sexual immorality however much it attracts him. And it's really this topic that takes up most of the first seven chapters. Solomon spends some of chapter 2, all of chapter 5, the second half of chapter 6, all of chapter 7, all warning his son about the dangers of sexual immorality. That's a lot. That's a lot of conversations. That's a lot of content. He warns them, none who go after her come back, nor do they regain the path of life. It's Proverbs 2.19. He begs them, oh sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And he reasons with them. And friends, that's not just one conversation. That's again and again and again. Fathers, is this the way you speak with your sons about sexual sin? Do you plead with them? Do you urge them? Do you warn them? And reason with them? There's a saying that Claire and I have, 10 before 10. 10 before 10. Our goal is to have 10 talks with our children about pornography before they turn 10. You know, it it might have been the case that you thought of, okay, you have the birds and the bees conversation around maybe 12 or 13, you kind of sit down. It's not just one conversation. It's in the car, driving to the grocery store, saying, hey, son, daddy needs to tell you again. If you see something, close your eyes and look away. Close your eyes looking away. Daddy's been there. It's a dark road. It's a bad place. You don't want to go there. Talk to me. Talk to me about it. You never need to be afraid to come to me and talk to me about it. 10 before 10. That's what we see here in Proverbs. We can get wisdom here as fathers for how to speak to our children about the dangers and harms they will face online. Third thing we see is a common orientation in the home. So we've seen that the influence formula is a function of time, authority, and lastly, common orientation. What do I mean by common orientation? 
The common orientation is the direction that the home is going. What is it bent toward? What, what's the gravitational pull of the home? What is the love of the home? What is the shared vision of the home? Is it around consuming? Is it around relaxing? Is it around love? Is it around joy? Is it around encouragement? Is it around criticism? What is the common orientation of the home? You see, what the family spends time together doing is shaping the habits and affections and loves of the children. Uh, Children are always being influenced. It's what it means to be a child. They're always being influenced. What you do together, the rhythms of your home, are all shaping the common orientation of the home. Andy Crouch, in his book, The TechWise Family, talks about the the family uh, hearth. The family hearth was the place where the fireplace was. And back in the day, before there was electricity and indoor heating, the family would gather around the hearth. This was the furnace. This was the fire that was heating up the whole home. And they would sit around it, and they'd look at it. And it was a place to talk. It was a place to enjoy each other's company. And the question is, where is the family hearth in your home? Where does the family gather? Where does the family spend time? What are they gathering around? What are they doing? That's what's shaping the sensibilities, the habits, the desires, the loves of your children. I don't know if you've ever been out to the Grand Canyon, but you look at something great and vast and eye-opening and just staggeringly deep, and you ask yourself, how was this formed? How is a great cavern formed? How is dirt formed into something so hard and concrete And how does something so firm get burrowed through so deeply? The answer is it doesn't happen all at once. It's not one thing necessarily. Caverns are formed by the slow drip of water over time. It's a slow process. It doesn't happen all at once. The minds and hearts and affections of our children are shaped over time. It's a slow drip of parental influence, of time, authority, of a common orientation that shapes them in a Godward direction. I want to close by reading a passage just a little later on in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 to 25, we see a beautiful picture of what it looks like when a home is shaped around these principles. Time, authority, common orientation. Chapter 6, verse 20. Moses says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And it will be our righteousness if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. 
isn't this what you want your home to be like? Where God is exalted in our conversation, where our children ask us, why do we do these things? And we have opportunities to give testimony to what God has done in our lives. The English Puritan William Perkins wrote that those families in which this service of God is performed are, as it were, little churches, yea, even a kind of paradise on earth. Where these things are present, time, authority, and common orientation, you will find parental influence. Do you feel like you've lost parental influence over your children? Do you feel like there's a war going on? Do you worry that it might be too late? As parents, we ultimately have to trust the Lord with our kids. We can't save them. Only God can. But he's given us in his word the answers that we need for how to be faithful in whatever context he calls us to. He's given us the wisdom we need. It's over to us to have the courage. Let's ask him to help us with that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wisdom and instruction that you've given us in your word. We confess, Lord, that all of us fall far short of what you have called us to as parents. And we begin by repenting of the ways where we have failed to show the kind of leadership and influence that we ought to have in our home. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would help us. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to be faithful with our children. We ask for your help. Uh, Teach us to be present. Uh, Teach us to be faithful in our words and our teaching, Lord. And help our homes to be oriented around you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.